the Aquamarines are back on Monster Kid Radio with the song An Ordeal Involving Five Strangers. It's from their album Off the Radar. It appears on this episode of the podcast with their permission. Go check them out at theaquamarines.com. When you're done listening to the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear, I am your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Planet of the Apes week here on Monster Kid Radio. A couple of days ago, in episode 195, Scott Morris dropped by the show to talk about Planet of the Apes. This was a movie that I recently had a chance to see on the big screen for the first time. I'd never seen the movie before, so I went to go see it at the four-story size screen at the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry this past weekend during their Sci-Fi Film Fest. It was glorious. Now, Scott's a big fan of all things Planet of the Apes, so I couldn't think of anybody I'd rather chat about this movie with than my friend Scott. So he's joining us, and we're going to get to that. You know what? I, I just am eager to dive into it. Why don't we get into it right now? Well, at least right after this. A small band of men on a perilous search for the man-beast of Tibet. The abominable snowman of the Himalayas. You've heard of him, haven't you? The world's most shocking monster. No one's ever lived who's seen him. Be on your guard. He's coming to this theater. The abominable snowman dares you. We dare you. Dare you to see the abominable snowman of the Himalayas. What did it look like? Tell me, what did you see, Kusang? Tell me. I see, I see what, what men must not see. They know it was me that did it last night. They're after me. After all of us. They just killed McNeil. Why that? It was an accident. It's me next. They know it was me. Stay here. Wait. Ed, I can hear you. I'm coming. You've got to understand that isn't Shelley. It isn't anybody. I can hear his voice. It's in your own mind. It's just happened to me, too. Warning. Only those with stout nerves and strong hearts should risk seeing the abominable snowman of the Himalayas. Film productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplace is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer horror, the engaging storytelling, and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. A port city in the Canadian province of Ontario and Canada's 10th largest city. This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or 
or their website, www.1951downplace.com. Oh, sorry, I thought you said Hamilton. 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. It's a madhouse! A madhouse! Charlton Heston discovers a world turned upside down, where humans run wild in the jungles and the superior beings are apes. Planet of the Apes, a fascinating civilization where apes build the cities and control the laws. Charlton Heston, Roddy McDowell, Kim Hunter, and Morris Evans star in Planet of the Apes, beyond your wildest dream. Now, can we talk about the makeup? Again, the makeup is going to go kind of downhill as we go through the series. I imagine because, so. But this one, I've read that when... They decided to do this movie that it's like 40% of the budget went towards the makeup, something outrageous like that. And that it sidelined a lot of other projects in production at the time because all the makeup artists were working on this one. And the fact that when the characters, when they were in full makeup and they break for lunch, you would have these tables that had all of the chimpanzees and gorillas. They were all eating, but they had one hand, they had a, uh, a hand mirror so they could find their mouth and not mess up the makeup. Yeah. And now I mentioned a little short thing that I had seen a few times. This was a 1968 short from, uh, um, I guess MGM put it out. King of the Duplicators is what it's called. And it's Wayne Thomas taking us on the tour of a makeup shop. And it's the makeup shop of William Tuttle. In this little short, we see a lot of the faces from Planet of the Apes, a lot of the prosthetics. Then we see him applying one. So I knew a little bit about the makeup behind it. And, of course, you can't be a fan of genre cinema and not know what the apes from Planet of the Apes look like, right? The only time I don't think it worked is when Cornelius and Zira kiss. That's a little odd. And being on a four-story screen, anytime there's an extreme close-up of one of the apes, you can kind of see both sets of teeth. You see the teeth of the monkey and then the teeth of the uh, actor underneath the monkey. But it wasn't so distracting that it took me out of it. Specifically, well, with Cornelius, I mean, Roddy McDowell did an amazing job acting beneath the makeup because he would do the the mouth twitches. And, I mean, all of them really would, like, have their nose moving back and forth and twitch a little bit here and there and would really bring life to that makeup. So, yeah, you might see two sets of teeth. So what? Look at his nose. You know, yeah. <laughs> look at what he's doing here. Look at what they're doing with their brows. I mean, and the way it blends into their face, it's amazing. Yeah, I thought Roddy McDowell was awesome in this film. Oh, he's fantastic. He is in all five movies. Really? Okay. Yes. Now, Cornelius isn't, but Roddy McDowell is. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. I really like Cornelius. <laughs> Roddy McDowell will take on a greater and greater role as the series goes through. Okay. Now, I liked Cornelius, and I... We'll, we'll talk about Nova here in a moment, but Zira was just... She was adorable. Yes, she was cute. I mean, even though... Oh, man. I, I love the line at the end of the movie when... Charlton Heston Taylor (laughs) says, I would like to kiss you. And and she looks at him and says, but you're just so damned ugly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Kim Hunter was amazing in this film. Uh, She carried, I mean, you believed that Zira was this behavioral scientist. I mean, she was just great. She was amazing. She brought so much life and depth to a character covered from head to toe, basically, in latex. Mm-hmm. 
you know, she brought so much. And Zira as a character, I just found adorable as like this this caring mother figure for Bright Eyes. You know, and, and her relationship with Cornelius was so sweet and so cute. You know, the kiss was a little off. You know, it looked a little funny. But, like, when they reached over and held each other's hands and everything, it was just so adorable. You're just like, oh, you know. And, and what do you think of Maurice Evans as Dr. Zayas? I thought Dr. Zayas was a hero. And I'll, I'll tell you, not in the movie, before I saw the movie, I assumed Dr. Zayas was a good guy. Partly because of the Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. I mean, you wouldn't write a song about, you know, a villain. You know, I, I don't know. For whatever reason, I thought he was going to be a good guy. And wow. <laughs> no. I would say that he is not as bad as you think he is. He's not as good. He's not a hero, but he's not as bad as you think he is. He has got the best interest of ape society yeah. the whole time. Well, as he sees it. As yeah. he sees it. Yeah. He's not doing what he's doing out of malice, per se. He thinks this is the only way to keep society on track. And this is where we start to see, and, and obviously with him, we see a lot of the separation between church and state. How much control should religion have over politics? You know, that sort of thing. You know, faith and the law and science versus the, the holy scrolls. And there's yeah, just, he's, he- he's oh. ahead of, he's basically Zira's boss, head of the science. And he's also. Roddy McDowell has to report to him, but he's also the keeper of the faith. So he's got that conflict going on, which he doesn't see as a conflict. Society doesn't see as a conflict. No, now now clearly it is, but oh wow, I I was thrilled by. I mean, every time he's on screen, I'm just like wow. And at the end, when he takes the turn, when he actually owns up to knowing more, Mm -hmm. you know, and and how he's kind of hidden it, and how they have to blow up the cave and, and hide all this. It's tragic, but hmm. I also like the scene after the trial when he calls uh, Taylor in to speak with him alone. Yes. It was, was an amazing scene as well. Now, I know a lot of people that have seen this film get bored with the trial, which is one of my favorite parts of the film. Yeah, I didn't get bored at all. Absolutely not. I thought that was amazing. Yeah. Uh, in fact, and I don't know if this was intentional or not, but it made me think of the uh, Next Generation episode where Data's on trial. Oh, yeah, where Data has to prove that he's sentient. Yeah, and and I don't know if they pulled anything from this film for inspiration for that scene, but I thought it was great. The only thing that I didn't like about this film is when they do the see no evil, hear no evil, <laughs> speak no evil pose. I, I didn't understand where that came from. It was unintentional. It was just something they were doing to screw around and, and it ended up staying because it kind of lightened the scene a little bit. It did get some chuckles in the theater. There were a few moments in the film that got some chuckles, some of them uncomfortable. Uh, the smoking of the cigar or whatever, that got yeah. some chuckles. And then when the three of them are walking around naked, the three astronauts, <laughs> and there's there's one shot where it's from their waist up, and Charlton Heston invites them all to come over. Here, and look the, at this. And then the two of them go down. But Heston stands for yeah. a, a little bit longer. <laughs> it, it, got a, it got some chuckles. But, you know, it, it didn't seem to be a big deal to me. I mean, I get it. And I like that they didn't shy away from it. You know, I don't need to see that much Charlton Heston. I don't know if anybody really does, but, you know, I like that they didn't shy away from, well, this is what they would do. They would take off their clothes and jump in the lake. That's what they would do. You know? At the time of this, this was filmed, I believe he was 45 years old. Now, I'm a little older than that, and I don't look that I wish I looked <laughs> as good as he looked. <laughs> I also thought it was a little 
jarring because if you look at before this film, Charlton Heston, what's he known for? You know, the Ten Commandments. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like gone completely the other way. He doesn't he leaves Earth because he's sick of being around people all the time. And he's very scientific. He's just wants to be loner and everything. And he's basically has to defend humanity at one point. And, you know, it just seems odd that somebody that was in the past known for being in the Ten Commandments taking this role. But then I'm glad he did because I think he's great in this film and it leads to, you know, his future work, you know, like the Omega Man and that kind of stuff. He's becomes more into science fiction after this. Sure. Yeah, I mean, again, there are a few moments that seem to be very Charlton Heston that probably didn't need to be as over the top as they were. But I know that I walked away from the movie feeling that way. But right now, off the top of my head, I can't recall any of the moments that I thought that about. <laughs> so that being said, you know, I thought he was pretty good. And, and I, you know, I'd seen him in uh, Silent Green, for example. And, yep. you know, again, he's very kind of rough and tumble man of action Charlton Heston here. But, God, there's something about Planet overall just really caught my imagination and i'm still thinking about it and thinking about the things that went into the script and the storytelling and the production and the logistics of making this movie happen the quote-unquote wisdom of shooting in arizona during the summer that that probably wasn't the best thing to do (laughs) but uh, otherwise you know i think this is a fascinating film I am probably one of the few people involved with Monster Kid Radio, and I'm counting the listeners here, who hadn't seen this movie before. <laughs> I know that I really had been missing out and forsaking a film that I needed to see. Yeah, I, it's always surprised me when you said you haven't seen this film, because I, I very rarely run into people when you start talking about classic films that hasn't seen this. But even those that haven't seen it, they know the story. Yeah. They know the, the icons. They know the damn dirty eight line. They know the Statue of Liberty. So, Yeah, I mean, I knew all that. But I didn't know the context. I mean, I knew the last shot was the statue. I mean, I knew that. Uh, but I, again, I didn't know the context or how it was all put together. I, I didn't know that Dr. Zayas kind of knew what he was going to run into. What's he going to find out there? His destiny. You know, it's... Mm-hmm. Ooh. And really, that line, is Taylor really humanity's destiny? Because that's, you know, he's the last one. <laughs> you know, he's he's the one there now. I don't know. And you talked about Zayas and that scene where he calls him in. I loved that scene so much because at this point, there are a few moments where Zayas is actually treating Taylor as an equal. Mm-hmm. He calls him Taylor for the first time. Yeah. Man. <laughs> this movie was amazing. Linda Harrison. The girlfriend of a studio executive, and that's why she's in this role. You know, I thought she was good, though. She, she did what she needed to do. She looked good, and that's yeah. basically what she needed to do. Yeah, uh, Zanuck was the studio exec, right? Richard Zanuck? I believe so. Who would also do things like Jaws and do a lot of stuff with Spielberg at the beginning and all that. So, yeah, I mean, she did what she needed to do. I thought the instant relationship between him and or Nova and Taylor seemed to come a little quick, but then there is an indication there's a, there's a good passage of time here. So, In the book, it's set up a little better because when the men come up on the pond that you see in the, in the movie, in the book, there's a group of humans swimming in it already. And this is where they first meet the humans. And Nova's there, and they're all naked swimming. And he sees her that way and just falls in love with her, just her beauty from seeing her. 
sure. there's a little more of a backstory in the book of how they met and whether than just Zira putting them together to mate. And that when they when she puts them together for the first time and she's looking in the cage, there's a, there's Kim Hunter. I don't know how she did it, but she pulls off this smirk with that eight mask on, uh-huh. which is awesome. <laughs> yep, she's. Got, I can't imagine people who work in a zoo who are trying to you know get their their exhibits basically their animals to mate to have that kind of oh the lion's gonna get some tonight you know just. <laughs> You know, I, I couldn't see that, but she's still so adorable in it, though. And the way they all move in character, Zira and Cornelius, the way they kind of walk a little bit, and Dr. Zaius walks like an orangutan would walk. They put so much to what they were doing in this film, and I know they're going to go down in quality, I guess, but I'm so looking forward to seeing this franchise even more. The second one, Charlton Heston does return. But but that's the last time, though, right? He doesn't. That's do the last time. Yeah. I believe that uh, Linda uh, Harrison also Nova. I think she plays Nova again in the second one. Uh, we get to see Roddy McDowell and Kim Hunter as Cornelius and Zira, but not for very long. Oh, but they do return. That's good. They're featured in the third movie. Oh, okay. So the third movie is my second favorite one. <laughs> I guess I'll have to say that. But Roddy and, and I'm pretty sure it's Kim Hunter as well. I know it's Cornelius and Zira, and they're basically the center, the focus of the third film. Oh, that's great. I'm looking forward to that now. That's the one that Tracy loves. Okay. So she might want to join us if we ever get to that point and talk about that film. Well, that's something that we need to talk about, too. In fact, I want to put it out to the listeners. Like I said, 1968 typically has been my cutoff lately for MKR. Now, there are some outliers. Obviously, we're going to talk about the Universal reboots and a few other things here and there. We talked about Ed Wood at one point. Uh, But I typically use 68 as a cutoff because that's when Night of the Living Dead came out and really kind of changed things for horror movies. The other Planet of the Apes movies, the next one doesn't come out for another couple of years, right? Yes. 1970? I believe it's 70. Okay. But if the listeners do want to hear more apes talk, Scott and I have talked about a schedule about making that happen. And I I think I know what the answer will be. But if there's anybody who's really opposed to Planet of the Apes conversation, you know how to get a hold of me. (laughs) (laughs) Or just skip that week. Anyway. Just to let you know, looking at uh, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, uh, Kim Hunter does return as Zira. Uh, Maurice Evans is back as Dr. Zayas. Linda... Uh, Harrison is Nova. They all do reprise their roles. And of course, uh, Charlton Heston as well. And then uh, one of my favorites is in the second one. It's uh, Ursus is uh, James Gregory. I just, I love that character. Ursa, is he a gorilla? He's a gorilla. Okay. And he's a warring gorilla. He's, he's basically like a general for the army. Okay. That's uh, beneath the planet of the apes. That's Is there the anything else seven. I should know going into the rest of the films? Ricardo Montalban will show up. I knew that. He's he's in three and four. Okay. Even though they kind of go downhill, do they? At least, I mean, is the tone still pretty much the same, or does it get really kind of goofy? The second one has some goofy moments in it. Okay. The third one, without really spoiling what happens in the film, there's a big reversal. That is a lot of fun and interesting to watch from a different perspective, I'll say. Okay. And then you'll actually get to see some of the similar type events that happen in the more recent movies. 
coming oh. in four and five. I was wondering how they're going to do more sequels. I know there are other humans that show up. I know Ricardo. I know Khan shows up mm-hmm. because I have seen the videotape cases. You know, when I worked at a, a video store. And, you know, actually, I should probably say this. I have seen the first 20 minutes or the first few minutes of this movie before because it did get put into a blockbuster mm-hmm. monitor once. So I used to work at Blockbuster back in the day because that's what film geeks did. Um, <laughs> and whenever I got to pick whatever movie would get played, I'd pick something, sci-fi, horror, whatever. And I did put this in one day and then went to break about 10 minutes later. And by the time I come back, they had taken it out and put something else in, usually grease or dirty dancing because, well. You, you made the comment of you're curious to see where they go from here. I'm dying now to wait to, to find out what if you have that same question at the end of the second film. I, I can't <laughs> imagine it. I mean, I know other humans show up, but, you know, unless the movie advances quite a bit and Taylor and Nova start knocking out babies or something, I don't know where the other humans are going to come from. Oh, I can't wait to. to I, I hope that we get a chance to talk about uh, Beneath and especially the ending. Because it's like the year 3000 something or other, right? It's not like. Ah. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying anything. <laughs> I don't want him to do anything silly, Scott. This was so good. <laughs> <laughs> I did read. They started talking sequel right away. Oh, yeah. This movie made a bunch of money. And, and unfortunately, I think that hurts some of the sequels because they were rushed. Mm-hmm. Let's see. How long did this franchise run for? Do you know? See, Battle of the Planet of the Apes is the last one. That came out... By the mid-70s. 73. Yeah. So okay. 68 to 73, five films come out. And then there was a, a TV series. Two TV series. One was live action, one was a cartoon, and that was in 75. So even if it had continued, if they had spent more time between projects, I don't think it would have survived under the weight of Star Wars. No. Yeah, Star Wars would have come out, and that would be that. So Return of the Planet of the Apes is the cartoon. Planet of the Apes is the live action. Which I have both. Yeah? Are they worth picking up? I've watched both of them. They're fun. I mean, nothing is as good as his first film. Oh, Mark Leonard is in the TV series? Yes. Wow, Spock's dad. Sarek. Yeah. And the first Romulan. (laughs) (laughs) And the first Klingon from Star Trek The Motion Picture. Why wasn't he the first human? I don't know. (laughs) Mark Leonard as Adam. (laughs) Well, now I'm real curious to see where that goes. Anytime the King of the Duplicator shows up on TCM, I record it onto the DVR and watch it a few times before I let it go and make room for something else. I wish I could get that on DVD somewhere. I'm sure it's a special feature on something. I have the Planet of the Apes Blu-ray box set because it was on sale a while back, and I was like, well, i gotta, I got to have it. But I've intentionally sat on it because I, I wanted to talk about it with Scott. I'm glad I waited to see it on the big screen like this. It was so impressive, Scott. It really was amazing. I'm just looking up the King of the Duplicators. That did come out in 68 as well. Yeah, so that would have been before the sequels. And like I said, it turns up on TCM every once in a while when they need to fill time. How long is it? It's just short, like 12 minutes long. It's super short. It's it's a filler piece. Because there's a link to a YouTube video of it, and it's 8 minutes and 10 seconds long. I didn't know if that was the whole thing or not. Well, we should watch it and find out. (laughs) I don't think I've even bothered to look it up on YouTube. (laughs) That's it. William Tuttle is the king of the duplicators, 1968, the one I'm looking at. You know what? I'm going to put a link in the show notes to this one. What else is there to say about, oh, the music. Jerry Goldsmith. Amazing score. 
the music in this. Now, Goldsmith would do some Star Trek. I mean, he's known as a sci-fi guy. He also did some yeah. Disney work, didn't he? Yes. So, I mean, he's one of the, the standards, one of the names when it comes to classic or when it comes to film scores, period. Jerry Goldsmith. I've got a ton of Jerry Goldsmith in my collection. And this score, from what I've read, was pretty groundbreaking. That it was atonal, which is something that you didn't see a lot of or hear a lot of, if at all, up until this point. And I think I read somewhere that he would blow a ram's horn to try to get get the sound. Yeah, to get the sound. Hmm. I also read something somewhere saying that he wore a gorilla mask while riding it, but I think that's probably more for publicity than anything else. <laughs> Speaking of publicity, uh, the press kit. Yeah. They've got a synopsis for the film. Uh-huh. And it goes up until uh, roughly the point where they're getting ready to go out into the Forbidden Zone. Because it uh, says here, Taylor offers his release to Zayas uh, unharmed if the later will promise not to press charges of heresy and insubordination against Zira and Cornelius. And then it's got this no- note. The shocking conclusion of Planet of the Apes will not be revealed in any synopsis. Wow. Right there in the press kit. They, they must have thought they really had something there. It is, especially if you had read the book, because that doesn't come in the book. Yeah. I wish I knew what the other options were. Like I said, Heston opted for this particular, you know, really pushed for this particular ending. I wish I knew what the other options were. I'm, I'm assuming it all had to do with the Statue of Liberty, but like maybe how he finds it or whatever. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I'm going to go put the Blu-ray in for Planet and see if there's any cool special features on it. Have you watched the Blu-ray? I have watched the Blu-ray, but I have not checked out the special features. I want to check that out. And would you recommend the book? Yes. The book is a fun read. How long is it? Not very long, a couple hundred pages maybe, and it's available on Kindle. That's where I read it. And I'm not much of a reader, not as much as as you guys are. And it was a fun read for me. It it was fun to see this information in a different take. Yeah. And uh, uh, there's another book that I won't mention here that I'll mention if if we get to it, uh, especially when we start the third movie that I'm blanking on the title of it right now, but it basically fills in some of the gaps between the movies. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Is it officially from the studio? or I believe it's officially sanctioned. Okay. But it's it's not Peter Buell that wrote it. So one of the things it explains is why the ship crashes. Oh, okay. So there's actual official tie-in fiction. Was it written back during the 60s and 70s or was something that came out later? It's come out later. Okay. It's more recent. And why the ship crashes actually ties strongly into the third movie. You're killing me, man. <laughs> You're killing me, Smalls. Yeah, I know. <laughs> How hard is it to get that book? I got it for Christmas last year, so. It wasn't the book I got you, was it? Because that would feel really silly. <laughs> <laughs> I know I got you one book, but I don't think that was a, I don't think it was fiction. Conspiracy of the Planet of the Apes by Andrew Gaska. And it's uh, still in print. Amazon has it. It came out in 2011. It says, first illustrated novel set during the classic 1968 Planet of the Apes film, Conspiracy of the Planet of the Apes tells the story of what happened between the scenes and centers on the astronaut John Landon, Gorilla Police Chief Marcus, and chimpanzee scientist Dr. Milo. I have no idea who they are. (laughs) (laughs) But there's, there's some great artwork in this book as well. Oh, is this a comic? No, it's not a graphic novel. It's really, really good, especially to fill in, you know, what happened between films. I would, I would recommend this book, but it doesn't appear to be available on Kindle. You know where it is available? On my wish list. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, the book that I got you uh, that I was thinking about was the timeline of the Planet of the Apes. Now, when I got that, I, I, I didn't look at it. Is it also filled with some good information? Yes. Okay. Add to wish list. <laughs> <laughs> I can see myself becoming a huge fan of Planet of the Apes now. I, I really can. I mean, this was such a good film, and I could see why it's got such a place of reverence, that it holds such a place of reverence with people. You love this franchise. You love these oh, films. I, do. I mean, you're you're the one that I wanted to talk about this with from the beginning when we first when you first mentioned it. There are some holes in my background when it comes to being a fan of some of these movies, and Planet of the Apes was a big one. And I'm looking forward to filling up on it as much as I possibly can. It is such a wonderful film, top to bottom. A few spots here and there feel a little creaky, but it's so easy to overlook these things and, and just get the message. And see the really cool stuff going on. You know, we're calling it science fiction, but it's not just science. I mean, it's you know, social science. It's philosophy. Philosophy. It's religion. It's there's so much going on here beneath the surface, beneath the masks of the apes. That's the second movie, Beneath the Planet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad that you dug it because I would have hated that. Uh, you know, you come into this. Like, oh, this was the worst thing I ever saw. And this like, was oh, so it. terrible. The makeup was so bad and the music was terrible. And Charlton Heston can't. No. <laughs> that person needs to shut the hell up right now. This movie was amazing. Like I said, it's one of the masterworks. I'm so glad I got to see it. And the first time I got to see it was on the big screen that way. And that I'm jealous of, very jealous of, because I saw it on a probably a 19-inch television on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Would it help if I told you the seats at the Omsi Theater were terrible? No. <laughs> they were terrible. I had a hard time. I would have stood. <laughs> yeah, they, they were pretty rough. I, I mean, I eventually found my sweet spot, which I needed to because the movie was about two hours long. But I had to kind of wiggle in and, and get just right where I needed to be to make the whole thing feelable. Granted, one of my feet was asleep by the time I was done. But One thing I wanted to mention about the books, when it first yeah. came out, the title of the book was Monkey Planet. <laughs> <laughs> I think they made the right choice of cha- the book has now come back out as Planet of the Apes, and I think that was a wise choice. <laughs> Monkey Planet. That's amazing. It was French originally, and that was the translation into English, the title. Yeah, I like Planet of the Apes better. <laughs> and the other thing that always amazes me when I watch this today, this movie was rated G. Yeah. <laughs> For as much man-ass as you see. And you see people getting shot. There's quite a bit of cussing in the film. And They're talking about gilding Charlton Heston. That's not a very yes. G-rated thing to happen. Yeah, like the one, only if you knew what was about to happen to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, he knows. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, rated G when it came out. That just shows you how much the um, MPAA has changed over the years. Sure. I don't know anything about the director of this. Do you know much about him? Franklin Schaffner? No. Doesn't look like he was involved in the other ones. Didn't they approach the original novelist about writing the sequel to begin with? I think I read that somewhere, but it just didn't work out. Yeah, I believe so, but I don't I don't think he was interested. And then Rod Serling also pitched something that they didn't take. I yes. had read something somewhere, Planet of the Men was what the next one was going to be called. That is what uh, I think Rod Serling's idea was, was basically to flip the script. And they didn't go that direction. To have three ape astronauts walking around Earth? Something well, like. modern day Earth at the time, I guess. But they did, they did not go with that. I did think it was convenient that the apes all spoke English, that that <laughs> language hadn't evolved very much. 
Probably for the best, I guess, <laughs> for our purposes. Yeah, since we don't speak A. Good point. Well, and then if you'd seen Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, you know, the, the new one, they, they kind of explain why English is the base language for what will eventually become the Planet of the Apes. So. Was it in the book that I read? I can't remember, but maybe it's in one of the later movies. They explain that the apes were, at one point on Earth, cats and dogs die out. And the apes were then domesticated to be pets. And so they heard English all the time. Wow. That's totally not what happens in the before <laughs> or whatever, dawn or whatever it is. Yeah, there's a disease that kills off all the cats and dogs. So people replace them with monkeys. Don't call me a monkey. That's offensive to me. That's a later movie. I was say, is that in one of the films? <laughs> yes, that's in a later okay. film. <laughs> I mean, I've internalized so much of this movie that it's really kind of hard to to get super worked up. Like, oh boy, because it's so... So much of what makes this movie works happens on such an internal level for me. Mm-hmm. Very cerebral in a lot of places. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate that mm-hmm. a lot. This is a movie that you think about for a while. Yeah. It, it gets to you. There'll be times where you know something will come up on the news. Like, pull back the curtain a little bit. I live in Indiana, and of course, here recently, what's been the big thing about Indiana is our Religious Freedom Act that has been in, in the news all over the country. And you've got the whole separation of church and state type issues going on. And it goes back to thinking, you know, I'm glad we don't have somebody like Dr. Zeris that is the head of both of them. <laughs> so. Or Dr. Zayas, yeah. So this movie always pops up in my mind, you know, sometimes watching the news or in, in, in places that a movie normally wouldn't come to mind. And that's simply because of some of the issues that this movie tackles. There are a lot of things to consider. And if any listeners haven't seen this movie in a long time, I would, or hadn't considered a lot of this, I would recommend going back and rewatching it just to kind of pay attention to those elements. The messaging is so strong and relevant still. But it doesn't beat you over the head with it. It's not preachy. Yeah, it's it's never preachy. And they throw in some action scenes. They throw in some. A little bit of comedy. I mean, there's the scene where uh, Taylor's running through the basically a museum and he scares the I mean, this scene is really powerful because you you get the little funny moment between the ape mom and her little kid at the museum. And then the next thing, you know, he sees Dodge stood up as a display in the museum. So it goes from lighthearted to boom. Complete opposite really quick. Yeah, and it's re- really handled well. The, the the look that you know Heston when he sees that he's is is well shot and well done. Heston does a really good job at fighting against the overwhelming despair. Like, what is he going to do? I, I, as an audience member, I'm watching. It's like I, I appreciate that he's trying to run for his life, but where does he think he's running to? There's no safety here for him. There's nowhere for him to go. There's no home. And he's been out, he's already been in the uh, Forbidden Zone. He knows there's nothing out there. Yeah. Where else can you go? What What are you going to do? At, at what point do you just shrug and say, fine, I'll stop talking and, I mean, there's nothing left to fight for, you know? But the minute he does that, he's going to be lobotomized. Exactly. He would have been better off if he just never talked. <laughs> Which, by the way, I appreciated how they handled that, too. Why he doesn't speak. 
Yeah, like I said in the book, they talk right away. The astronauts talk to the apes right away. That's something introduced to the movie, and I also appreciate the way that they handled that. To make uh, Charlton has to make Taylor seem like he is just part of the human group or whatever yeah. you would call it. The animals, the beasts. <laughs> exactly, yes. Yeah. yeah, to put it to put it delicately. <laughs> but Zira sees something in him for right from the beginning. Yeah. Calls him bright eyes and go ahead, do your trick where he pretends to try to talk. Go ahead. Do the trick. <laughs> do the trick. What else is there to say about Planet of the Apes before we wrap this up? I, like I said, I'm really glad you dug it. Man, it's so good. And listeners, Scott already said he's in Indiana, and people know that I'm over here in Oregon, so there's a time difference. And the date that we're recording this is actually the second recording we've done for the day. We just got done recording an episode of Down Place, 1951 Down Place. Uh, because of the time difference, I get up really early on a Sunday morning to record these things. And I originally thought, as soon as we got done recording, I'm just going to go back to bed because, you know, I'm so tired. Uh-uh. I'm going to go make myself another cup of coffee. I'm going to crack open that Blu-ray. I'm going to start playing with the special features on that and hope to find something cool. That's how motivated I am now. Just talking about Planet of the Apes again just got me, like, all jazzed. Don't find anything too cool that Brenda will be jealous of seeing. Uh, you know, like I said, I think she liked it okay, but it wasn't one that really grabbed her. Do you know if she saw any of the sequels? You know, I was asking her about that, and she says she thinks she probably did. You know, she's not very movie-oriented is the thing. I mean, you and Tracy know that, but, mm -hmm. you know, she's not a very sit-around-and-watch-movies-all-day kind of person. She'd rather get lost in a really good book. True. That sort of thing. I don't think she's ever read the novel this is based on. In fact, I know she hasn't. I would love to hear her take on the novel. On the novel? I'm thinking I'm going to need to read the novel. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I thought she liked it, and I think she said she's watched the other ones, but she doesn't have a lot of real distinct memories of it. Her dad liked science fiction a lot growing up, so if she watched it, she watched it with her dad. She has a lot of memories watching the Star Trek movies with her dad. But... Yeah, not much else. Whereas, like I said, I was a Star Wars kid growing up, so I didn't really pay too much attention to this. Well, like I said, I had seen this and 2001 before I saw Star Wars. And as much as I love Star Wars as well, it's more of the fiction in the science fiction than the, these, this in 2001. Sure. I mean, and again, you know, I've been saying this is real science fiction, and that's not to say anything negative about what Star Trek became under Abrams or Star Wars or any of that. You know, that's not to say anything bad about that. I mean, no, they have no, their place. It's, but this, It's just a different flavor. It's, it's, yeah, it's not, if you really break it down and look at it, no, it's not really the best science fiction in the world at all. It's a great space fantasy, space opera, but I know I didn't watch The Phantom Menace and think, hmm, I wonder what they were saying about the class system when it came to Jar Jar Binks and the rest of the Gungans. You know, I didn't... <laughs> You don't you don't come away from these movies thinking about that kind of thing, and I, I really appreciated that I could do that with Planet. Even ironically, they had the big government scene and the Senate scene in that film. Exactly, exactly. So, Scott, thank you for being my guide uh, as I decompress <laughs> and, and debrief Planet of the Apes. <laughs> I, I'm curious to see what you think of the of the sequels. So that that will be fun, and I hope we get a chance to talk about it. I think we probably will. I can't imagine the listeners don't want to hear more about Planet of the Apes. Now, that's not all we're ever going to do with you here on the show is Planet of the Apes from now on. We, we have you coming back from some other things as well, as well as some stuff from, you know, post-68. Let, let's let's spoil it now. You want to spoil it now? Uh, sure, because I'm not sure what you're talking about. Well, the, the other movie that we've been talking about doing that's not Planet. Oh, Horror Express. Yes. 
which again, Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, you know, there are exceptions to my pre-68 rule and anything with a Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, we can certainly consider Monster Kid radio worthy. And it's not Hammer. No, and it's not Hammer. It's not Amicus. It's 1970. Oh, it's so awesome. (laughs) It's so good. So yeah, we'll be talking Horror Express in the future, man. I am looking forward to talking about that in uh, Telly Savalas. Kojak is a Cossack. <laughs> Such a great film. So we'll be talking about that in the future as well. So, All right, man. Thank you for joining me, like I said, and, and being my guide as we debriefed Planet of the Apes. Well, thank you for having me on. I always enjoy sitting here in the Monster Kid Radio Lounge. <laughs> is that what this is now? Is this a lounge? Sure. I always have a good time when I have Scott on the show. I love podcasting with him. I've been podcasting with him for years, and it was just a treat to talk about Planet of the Apes with him. And I'm looking forward to having him on the show down the line to talk about Horror Express, as well as the other Planet of the Apes movies. That's going to be a real treat. If you need to hear more Scott Morris between his appearances on Monster Kid Radio, he's one of my co-hosts on 1951 Down Place, the monthly Hammer Films podcast that I co-produce with him and Casey Criswell. He's also one of the high muckety mucks at the Disney Indiana podcast. C-3PO. Loki. Mace Windu. Dr. Bruce Banner. Captain Rex. Venom. Princess Leia. Jean Grey. Darth Maul. Nick Fury. Grand Moff Tarkin. Captain America. Lando Calrissian. Cyclops. What do all these characters have in common? Well, two of them were played by Samuel L. Jackson. A couple of them were played by Hammer Films veterans Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Come on, guys. You know this. Well, of course we do, Jessica. Just like Mickey Mouse and Captain Jack Sparrow, they're all now Disney characters. Hello, I'm Tracy of the Disney Indiana Podcast, and my co-host Scott and I enjoy talking about all aspects of the House of Mouse, and that includes their newest properties, Marvel and LucasArts. We also talk about Disney resorts, the cruise line, theme parks, and whatever else Mickey has to offer. Which includes movies, Imagineering, video games, and collectibles. You'll never know what we'll decide to talk about. So check us out at www.disneyindiana.com or do a search for the Disney Indiana podcast on iTunes, because now we've got a lot more to talk about. And don't forget about those other quote-unquote Disney characters like, well, Sully, Fozzie Bear, Buzz Lightyear, Link Hogthrob, Doug, Janice, Merida, Pepe, Bruce, Ralph the Dog, Wally, Dr. The Disney Bunsen Indiana Hindu, Podcast. Syndrome, Even after five years, we're still miles away from the nearest Main Street, USA. We're not listed on the map, but you can join us at www.disneyindiana.com. For two million years in these subterranean caves, a creature of superhuman evil was entombed in a wall of ice, waiting to be free, waiting to live again. Travel with us on a journey into a world where nightmare becomes reality. that lived two million years ago, got out of that crate, killed the baggage man and put him in there. Yes, I am. It's alive. It must be. Travel with us, if you dare. 
on the Horror Express. Search the train and find it, whatever it is, and destroy it. But if it's alive... I want this kept quiet. I don't want to panic the passengers. The malignant power of this creature is indestructible, transferring its force from mind to mind, from body body. Beast is not dead. I put four bullets into him. You think evil can be killed with bullets? Satan leaves. The animal that you shot was only the host. It's alive in someone on this train. You saw his eyes. One look at them and you're dead. Anything that moves near that door, kill it. <laughs> Run, run for your life. Hide, but you can't escape. No one can stop the fury and the terror of the Horror Express. If you head over to monsterkidradio.net, you're going to find everything you need to know about the podcast between episodes like our contact information. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com, and our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. And you want to know how I know that voicemail line works? We got a call. Hello, Derek. My name is Joe Iden, and I am a big fan of your podcast, and this is the first time I called in. I first heard of your podcast while listening to the B movie cast where you were on one day and talking about I can't recall the exact movie. But I think that was back when you were doing Mail Order Zombie. And uh anyway, I enjoy Monster Kid Radio very much as I do also enjoy uh nineteen fifty one downplays. Uh, both of them very much. Uh I cannot believe you've never seen Planet of the Ace. Come on, Derek. Come on. You know? You've never seen it? I mean I'm sure you've seen clips of it, you've seen the ending, but Wow, and you know, everything you said, man, you are right. This was a groundbreaking. I like to call it adult science fiction. Okay, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on there for mass market appeal and everything like that with the groundbreaking makeup and everything like that. Of course, having Chuck Heston in it doesn't hurt, but uh, I like to call it very grown-up, very adult science fiction. There's a lot of stuff going on in Planet of the Apes. God, I, I love it, and I'm really surprised someone like you have not seen it, but I'm glad you did see it, and I'm glad you saw it in that uh, theater you talked about. God, what a what a lucky break to see that. I would love to see that on the big screen, any big screen, but to see it on the kind of screen you described must have been, a, uh, you know, it's really cool. As much as I love this series, this franchise, and especially the first one, to me, the second one is just as good as the first. Now, that's a personal opinion, obviously, 
Uh, I realize how important and groundbreaking and different and everything that first one was, and it's put on a pedestal, and rightfully so. But for me, I like the second one a little bit better because we get to find out a lot more about what happened to human civilization in the second one. And I'm sure you guys will get into this at one point, but beneath the Planet of the Apes, I think is every good as the, I have the whole eight series on DVD. Beneath is the only one I have on Blu-ray. Uh, I really love Beneath, and you've got to love James Gregory as Ursus. He just gives a fantastic performance in that movie. And it, the, the ending is such a downer. I, really, I think it's more of a downer than the, the first one. What happens is, is you, you follow this character played by James Franciscus through the whole thing, and then, and then just what happens at the end. But, uh, yeah, I mean, as far as a franchise goes, this was one of the first, man. This was, this was one of the first big franchises. And uh, I never saw any of them in the, uh, the theaters, but I love Planet of the Apes. The first two especially. I think I like the second one a little more. I thought, thought I heard you say you do have the second one, and I would strongly recommend watching it. Is Don't wait to watch the second one. To if, like, if you're going to cover it on Monster Radio, you go ahead and watch it, man, because... Yeah, let's do anything like me. You could definitely set through these type of movies uh, a second time. But yeah, I love Beneath. And uh, interesting, if if you're interested, and I don't know if you have it, I don't even know if it's still available. Uh, back in, oh God, I want to go back. It's probably 10 years or more. AMC ran a whole weekend of Planet of the Eight movies. This is when they were commercial free, when they used to have the host like Turner Classic does. And... They ran all the movies, and they ran a couple of the TV shows. I think they ran the whole TV show throughout the weekend at various spots. But they had an original documentary called Behind the Planet of the Apes, hosted by Roddy McDowell. And so, obviously, it's been quite a few years since that's been out. But that is available on DVD. It actually came in the box set that I bought uh, around that time. And that is a fascinating documentary on Planet of the Apes. And let me tell you, it covers everything on Planet of the Apes, from the career of Arthur P. Jacobs to getting the first movie made to getting Charlton Heston all the way up to, I want to say, to the Burton retelling. Uh, almost that far it goes. It is an excellent, excellent documentary. And if you have not seen the movie Argo, the, I think it was Best Picture like two years ago that Ben Affleck directed, I would strongly recommend watching that, too, because... A lot of the stuff became declassified with the government, and it turns out that the guy that did the, the makeup for Planet of the Apes, John Chambers, he was actually working for the CIA. He would do he taught people how to do disguises and everything like that, and he was instrumental on getting out those couple of um, Americans who were stuck in Iran when they took the hostages. And John Chambers was instrumental in getting those four or five people out. And if you've never seen the movie Argo, it is, it, there's a connection there with Planet of the Apes, and it is, first of all, it's a great movie, but it's really worth seeing. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad you're getting turned on to the Planet of the Apes movies, man, because they are some of my favorite, and I'm glad you like Planet of the Apes so much. I think you guys did a great job on the podcast. I look forward to the next one, as always, and on, um, 1951 Downplay, it's another one of my favorite podcasts. So, um, I will listen for your next podcast, and, uh, you take care. And keep up the great work, and I will still keep listening. Take care. Bye. Hey, thanks for calling in. I, you know, I, I'm going to watch the other movies. It's already something I'm planning on doing. 
throughout the next few months, actually, I'm going to get through the entire film franchise. And then I'm real curious about the TV show and the cartoon as well and pretty much anything else. I did order a used copy of the novel that the movie was based on. So that's on the way. That's coming my way. I do have the Blu-ray box set but I did not, as I said, jump off the microphone and run straight to my Blu-ray player. The reason for that is, as much as I love watching special features on Blu-rays and DVDs, I mean, that's part of the reason why I buy physical media still, I didn't know if any of the documentaries or audio commentary tracks or anything would comment on future films, and I didn't want to spoil myself. So I'm going to make it a point to just go through the films first. I believe the documentary that you mentioned is part of that Blu-ray set. If it's not, well, I have seen it for sale by itself online, so I know I can get my hands on it, and I'm going to want to watch that as well. So that's something I'll be viewing along the way. I'm real curious now about the next film in the series. Your comments and your high praise make me real uh, interested. It's piqued my interest even more, as if I wasn't already excited about getting into Planet of the Apes further. Now I really want to see the second film and the third film, because Scott spoke so highly of that one as well. So I'm eager to dive into those movies. So stay tuned, listeners. Yes, Monster Kid Radio will cover the rest of the Planet of the Apes films later this year. And yes, Argo. I have seen Argo, and I knew about the Planet of the Apes connection there. And I thought that was pretty cool. Probably over the next several months, you're going to get Scott back on the show and me and some hot ape action. It's going to be great. Of course, like I said, with Scott, we're doing Horror Express next, and that'll be happening down the line. I want to thank you for calling in. If anybody else wants to call in and share their thoughts about Planet of the Apes or anything else that we've ever talked about here on the show, this episode or the past 195 episodes, call it in, write it in. Or send me a Facebook message or leave a comment on Facebook, like Robert Wilkins did. Episode 194, when we had Alan Trump on, we were talking about Zontar, the thing from Venus. He left a comment for me on Facebook regarding which widow holds the rights to things like Teenage Frankenstein and I Was a Teenage Werewolf. I think I probably said it was Zarkov's widow that actually owned the rights, and really it's Nicholson's widow who owns the rights to that. So I, I knew that. Clearly, I didn't know it when I was recording with Alan. So, Robert, thank you for leaving that comment. We do have a Facebook presence. Facebook.com slash Radio is our Facebook page where you can like us if you're a Facebook user. But we also have a group that you can get to either by following the links in the show notes at MonsterKidRadio.net or just looking up MonsterKidRadio and joining the group there. Lots of conversations happening with Monster Kid Radio listeners between episodes. Lots of polls as well. I try to do a new monthly poll, and this month's poll, which we're kind of getting near the end of April, so if you haven't participated in the poll yet, head over there and let me know what classic monster or genre movie you'd like to see released with a commentary track, a movie that hasn't had one yet. Which classic film or not-so-classic film do you want to see get the commentary treatment? Right now, The Thing from Another World is in the lead, and somebody did leave a comment that The Thing from Another World did get a John Carpenter commentary track over in the U.K., but I wouldn't mind seeing something domestic. And now, of course, I want to track down that version so I can hear the John Carpenter commentary track. Anyway, get in there and join the group and participate in the poll. Also, at our website, you're going to find links to our live 365 internet radio station where you can listen to music and sounds from classic monster movies, not-so-classic monster movies, 24-7 for free, courtesy of Live 365. Head over to live365.com and look at Monster Kid Radio if you're not getting there from monsterkidradio.net. Speaking of music, you can look at every song that's appeared on Monster Kid Radio by clicking on the songs button across the top there. It'll take you to a list of every band, every song by episode. So if you're interested in something that you hear here on the show, well, 
you can follow the links and get to the band and let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. We also have a Patreon page where you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio and help support the show on a monthly basis. Thanks to everybody who's participated as a patron of Monster Kid Radio. And of course, you can subscribe to the Monster Rally Checkpoint monthly e-newsletter over on monsterkidradio.net. Just over on the right, put in your email address, hit subscribe, and you're in. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Scott, for joining me to talk about Planet of the Apes. Thanks to Omzi for bringing it in as part of its sci-fi film fest. If this is going to be a regular thing every year, they bring in some classic monster movies or sci-fi films. Yeah, I'm going to have to keep an eye on that. I'm definitely there. Next week on Monster Kid Radio, Nicholas Hatcher is back. He is the man behind the Bela Lugosi podcast, The Vampire Over Hollywood. And we're going to talk about, well, not a Bela Lugosi film or a vampire movie. We're going to talk about a mummy film. We're going to talk about 1940s, The Mummy's Hand. I love me a mummy film, and I'm looking forward to sharing that conversation with everybody here on the show. This upcoming weekend, April 25th and 26th, if you are in the Portland, Oregon area, and you happen to be at the CthulhuCon, I'd love to meet you and say hi. CthulhuCon.com is where you can find out about CthulhuCon. I'm going to be a panelist there. I'm on a couple of panels, including the panel Lovecraft Gets Hammered. It's about hammer films that have a Lovecraftian vibe, and I'm moderating that panel. So I'm looking forward to that. This is going to be a lot of fun. I've been a big fan of everything the HP Film Festival group puts together. Every year I go, and I'm looking forward to the first ever CthulhuCon here in Portland. If you're there, look me up. I'm hard to miss. I'll be the big guy wearing the Monster Kid radio shirt. Oh, and I'll probably have my portable recorder with me as well. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song An Ordeal Involving Five Strangers. That belongs to the Aquamarines. It's on their album Off the Radar. You can find them at theaquamarines.com or follow the link in the show notes. Tell them that you heard about them over on Monster Kid Radio. Talk to everybody next week. (laughs) 